Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. All right, well, it is awesome to be here. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Uh, or 20, yeah, it is 139. Yeah, uh, verse uh, 23. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, as we uh, just spend time in your word this morning, God, I just pray that... Uh, just put the world in chaos. <laughs> so we would just take it all as an opportunity to grow deeper in you, knowing you're the finish line. So just bless this time we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things, I've, I've been a senior pastor for 21 years now, and um, I've been in ministry leadership for 30 years now. And, uh, man, my perception of the church has really changed over the years. Um, my perception of ministry was always, you know, it's got to be clean. It's got to be solid. You can't make a mistake. And guys, I grew up in a church of 5,000 people before megachurches existed. And, uh, and then I was a part of a church of 7,000 people and on staff. One of 50 staff members just at the church. And, and it was just... You know, the goal was always to be clean and efficient. And uh, one of the things that I ended up realizing over the years is I got to know God better. And I got to realize that even my righteous works are filthy rags. You know, I, I started realizing my, my best efforts are only valuable because of how much God loves me. So, so right now, you know, I, I want to brag on me a little bit. Just kidding. Um, I'm an education guy, so I like I, I just kind of get trapped in to keep on studying. So right now I'm trying to finish a dissertation. So I've worked on it for, for four years now. Almost done with it. And all the effort and the time that I've put into this thing, you know what my dissertation is to God? It's a crayon drawing. It's a crayon, 240 pages to God is a crayon drawing. But I'm going to give it to him like a little kid toddling up to their mom and dad. I did this for you. And what do loving mom and dad do? They go, oh, yeah, I see me here. No, no. They try to explain what it really is, and it's really a crayon drawing. But what do they do? They go, it's not good enough. They rip it up and they throw it in the trash. Oh, that's not what you're expecting. What do they do? They get the, the magnet and they put it on the refrigerator. And every time they look at that, they love it and they think their child is the best thing ever. <laughs> and the only reason any effort of what I do gets any credit in heaven is because God loves me. And all he wants me to do is put forth, not success, he wants me to put forth effort with the right heart. And that gets credit in heaven. You know, and that's why I love when, when we moved out to Corpus Christi, one of our, uh, you know, one of my desires was to have a church where anybody who was a believer could feel like they could serve. Because so often churches are so smooth that you feel like, I can't serve there. I can't sing like that. You know, I can't be in the worship team. You know, I, I can't be do that skit. I can't speak. I can't lead a Bible study. I'm like, well, baloney. You've got to love God, love His Word, and love people, and you're qualified to do anything in this church. You know, we'll train you, and we'll, you know, as long as you're not super distracting, <laughs> which hey, our worship team can be really distracting at times. <laughs> because it is a ministry to the people that are in the worship team first before it's an impressive thing to draw people to the church. That's not what we use it for. We use it to worship God. And once people figure out the heart of the person that's singing off key up there, they realize they can worship with them. You know? And, and, and we have become so slick as a church. I think our impression of who we are, we're going to talk about this in the study today, is all messed up. Because I used to think, when I was going to run the race, I was in the Olympics. Right? I was a, I was a good swimmer. I was a, a competitive swimmer. And I thought, I was going to go to the Olympics. I'm so good. You know? And, and that's like the pinnacle. But what about those guys that go to the Olympics and get dead last? In every event, think about it, someone gets dead last. 
And who cares if they showed up at the Olympics? Only the people that love them, right? You guys ever watch the, the, the credits come up after a movie? For like 25 minutes? <laughs> no one cares about the names on that list except for those that love those people. And the thing is, God knows your name. And I realized, I came to realize that I'm not running in the Olympics. Because that's based upon your success and your performance. Guys, I'm running in the special Olympics. <laughs> and I got people in the stands that love me, and they're clapping. But you know who I got at the end of my lane? Going, come on, baby! As I bump into people in the other lines, as I fall down, as I get up, as I run the opposite direction, <laughs> I got a coach at the end of my line looking at my face saying, come on, baby, I love you. You know, that last song, you know, it was emotional, right? Um, but I, I think about that because I'm running down this race and I'm screwing up daily. And I get a coach at the end of the line that just wants me to try. And I know when you get there, told, he tells me what he's going to say. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful son. And he's the only one that really knows how much I tried or didn't try. But even in that, he still loves me. He knows how handicapped I really am. And he still loves me. He knows how much I'll screw up throughout my life. And he has still chosen to stand at the end of my line to love him. Now, he loves us no matter what. You can't stop him from loving you. You guys realize God can't love you any less than he already does? Greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for a friend. Can he love you any more than he already does? But at the same time, since he loves me so much, I want to please him all the more. I want to be more effective for the kingdom of God, for his glory, not for mine. I want to die to myself so I can enjoy and be filled with him all the more. And I want to make a difference. And so in my life, I've realized that I've run into some blind spots in my life. And, and I'm not so much talking, I love to talk about the awesomeness of God, that he is everything that he is, everywhere that he is, and he has to be everywhere that anything exists because he is the reason that anything exists all, all, at all. He is a necessary one. What is beyond the edge of the universe speeding out into nothingness for all of eternity? Jesus, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they are there. They are everywhere, and everywhere they are, they are all that they are. I love to talk about that. But I'm going to talk about how we respond to that a little bit more today, and just some secrets maybe to growth as we go through some hard times. And so David prayed in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, or my anxious thoughts, or my thoughts. Your Bible may say one of those three. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Way everlasting. So, why ask God to search us? Don't we know ourselves enough to know what He is fixing? Why say, God, search my heart? We'll talk more, more about that later. And why does He even want to know? Why does David want God to search his heart? Now, that's scary, right? Because if you're trying to impress somebody and you're married, you don't want them talking to your spouse. Right? You don't want to bring your spouse to your job interview. <laughs> because they'll be looking at her or his face as you try to promote yourself. So guys, it is a scary thing to pray, God, search my heart. Because he knows everything. And what you're saying is, God, get in there and start ripping stuff. God, cause some pain, wake me up, and challenge me to grow. That's a hard thing to say. It is a scary thing to say. But if you want to grow in the Lord, if you want to be more effective for the kingdom, if you want to be a better lover of those that you have influence in their life, you need to ask this question, God, what is stopping me? What selfish thing is, is eating away inside of me that is keeping me from being a better husband, a better wife, a better child, a better uh, employer, a better servant. You want your heart in the right place. And so you ask this question, search me. Know me. Try me. And so God, if God searches us and leads us in the way, what's going to happen to us? One, we're going to grow in closer intimacy with him. 
as we get more rid of ourselves, we're going to grow closer to Him. Listen, here's the secret. If you're not close to God, it's not His fault. Whose fault is it? It's ours, right? And so the more that we can allow God in, the more we can ask that question, the more we can, we can have intimacy with God. There's less static in the line, as it were. We experience how to be more like Him as we become more like Him. And Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. That's why stop there. Because then I start defining what good is. Right? Now it's funny, you know, because in Corpus Christi, nobody has Subarus. Here, everybody has Subarus, right? So, it's good owning the latest model of Subaru. You know? Uh, here, it's having the best heater. In Corpus, it's having the best air conditioner. You know? Whatever it might be. And wherever the good place to live, we start defining good for God. But let's see how God defines the good that is coming through everything that we go through. All things. Because it's found in verse 29. Very often we don't get to that point. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed into the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so everything that we go through, if we are willing to surrender to God and say, God, what do you have for me? Good, bad, and ugly. All things means all things. We had a, a stillborn uh, son. After having two daughters, uh, we, we, we turned up pregnant, uh, when most people don't turn up pregnant, a little bit later in life. And uh, we were so excited about it. We lived this pregnancy before our whole church and before a lot of people. Everybody was so excited. And a week before our son was to be born, his umbilical cord twisted and he suffocated in my wife's womb. But we knew all things. And uh, a woman gave my wife something that wasn't cynical. It wasn't mean. It was very loving because it's from the heart of God. And it was a little thing that said, all things, all things, all things. And that was good because we understood that God was going to change our character, not temporarily. But when God does a work on your character, that's one of the things that lasts forever. If God gives you a house on the lake, that only lasts for this lifetime of the bones. And I've known forest fires or Avalanches. We have hurricanes, right? I don't know what destroys things here, but everything is temporary. And so when God works on your heart, we need to understand that God is working in an eternal work. And it's been 13 years since that happened. Since our son died in my wife's womb and we had the funeral and I had to put this little casket in the ground. But you know, we are so different and so much better off than people now. And we have this deep intimacy with God. We used to pray with our children, you know, pray for our children that they wouldn't have to go through trials of their own making in order for God to grow them up. And you know what? God answered that prayer. We wanted to, to grow the purest boy on earth. Hey, he never became a junior higher. <laughs> you know, pretty pure, you know. But we had to hand that to God, and God transformed us. He transformed my daughters. He transformed the rest of my life. All things, all things, all things. And so when we grow, when the Lord searches us, when he challenges us with things that we need to know, what happens is our understanding of his love for us radically grows. And so over time, you know, this is, this is how I've begun to, to, to describe a mature Christian. It's not someone with degrees. It's not someone with accomplishments. It's someone that realizes how much God loves him. It's someone who, who over time has had God search their heart and they get to know who they are. But as they get to study him, they get to know who he is. Now, God's love is amazing. It's huge. Right? We know that by concept. But there's a personal level by which we can understand personally how much God loves us. And so when we're a brand new believer... We think, okay, I've had to repent of that. I'm pretty good. And so I know for God's love the world, he did all kinds of cool things and, and you know, and fire from heaven. Man, God's proud. He's like this good. And so your understanding, not the reality of God's love for you, but your understanding of the love of God was filled with this gap of the cross that's about this big. God's searching you. And you start understanding that God really rescued you. 
He didn't save you because you were awesome, but because you needed rescuing, right? And you learn that. If, if, if you are maturing, sometimes Christians don't mature. But if you are maturing, you're, you, you, get, you become a better person, but your understanding of who you really are is kind of lowered. And then what happens? Exponentially, your understanding of the awesomeness of God grows. And so then your understanding of how much Christ really loves you actually grows, right? And, and someone who can be radically influential and, and radically helpful at the same time humble, the only way to get there is to understand who God is more and more and understand who you are more and more. And that's what I remember being young, and I, and I had a lot of men that poured into my life, and I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. How do, how do I become that person? Well, I need to start now. You know, and, and I need to grow in faith, as was talked on Wednesday night, but I also need to grow in humility if I'm going to be effective at all. And the way to do that isn't to beat yourself up and tell everybody how horrible you are. The way to do that is just to know how awesome God is. And then you can accomplish incredible things for God without being prideful about what you've done. I tell our church all, all the time, I just go, you guys thank me for everything. I go, what a joke. You guys have allowed me in your life to be a part of your story, and I'm excited to do so. And I say for you, guys, I have debilitating ADD. I haven't even looked at my most favorite a couple times. I'm totally off track already. But, but I just do this, you know, it's like, it, I'm out there. You know, I'm not the guy that can accomplish. I can dream about everything. I accomplish nothing. <laughs> I have this incredible staff. That, and I tell them all the time, you guys make me look so good. Thank you so much. And I know it's not, you know. And, and then another thing is, is, you know, I grew up a surfer. And surfing is about you. You're alone. It's my way. But if I get the wave, I'm happy. If you get the wave, eh. <laughs> I wanted it. You know? And it's like this... Selfishness. I grew up swimming. I was always alone. I can be very apathetic. I still like being alone. I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert in the sense of like, I'll talk your, your, you know, your ear off, but at the same time, I recharge alone. You know? And I, I look at that and I go, I'm amazing. I'm a pastor. And everyone looks at me, you're so prideful. I'm like, no, I'm amazed at God because I don't even like people. <laughs> and I love you. And that is weird. That's a weird guy. And I, I watch myself and I go, that's weird. You know, and so this comes because over the years, God has, through trials, forced me to know what it is, to understand where I need help. And I've also asked him, and I continue to ask him, to search my heart. And look for those blind spots in my life. And so, you get to love each other better because you're not as selfish as you grow in that intimacy with God as you learn who you are. You're not going to judge the other person. Guys, I was, you know, uh, Michael McClure spoke on Wednesday night. And it's funny because he was a, you know, he's a silver spoon Christian, right? You know, mom and dad Christians, grandma Christians, and mom, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, that's the same one. You know, and, 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 and I can look at my life, and when I backslid, I didn't backslide very far. I didn't do the stuff that a lot of people did, but it was still a backslide. But for me, it was like, meh. You know, I don't have that great testimony so bad. But at the same time, it's just because my level, my standard was so high because I was raised in Christian love with Christian parents. You know, I'm silver spoon, you know. Scripture's on the diapers. You know, I mean, that's like, it doesn't get much better than that. You got holy poop, you know. It's like, yes! And that was my life.
to say, here I am, God sent me. That God searches you out. Another thing you're able to do is just live your lives in peace with God, confidence in His plan and assurance of His redemption. And we go on and on and on. So this, so David praying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Such a good prayer to pray. It's an essential prayer to pray, but I'm telling you, it's a scary prayer to pray. Right? Because, man, as much as we want to be here, we don't want to go through the process. You know, as a young man, I used to read Paul. It's like, God, I want to be Paul without the trials. <laughs> Give me the easy way up, man. I want cathedral day after day. But I don't want all the trials that that guy went through to become who he was. So he asks that question, or he says, you know, search me, O God. Why would he say that unless he knew? We brought this up before. But in reality, we can be so blind to what needs to change in our lives. We can be blind. And we can see the effects of our sin all around, but at times just don't understand why we're hurting people and why people are upset with us. We've, we've kind of just been blind to it. And the idea of deceiving ourselves is not foreign or rare in the scriptures. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Self-deception, a little you know, promotion of self inside our own brains. James 1.22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. Self-deception. So some things are obviously targets for change. You know, I get saved, you know, and I read, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, I probably should stop beating her and maybe break up with that girl on the side, you know. <laughs> Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Ah, maybe I'd like to change my view of alcohol a little bit here. You know, some things are obvious. But some things aren't so obvious. So we have to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. <clears throat> so a few blind spots I've had over the years. First, after many years of marriage, I realized I had anger, bitterness, uh, just unforgiveness issues in my life towards my wife. But see, my opinion of myself was peace knowing for a moment. I'm a servant. I'm chill. You know, that's like the lifestyle, man, that's me. And I hid it from myself, but it was not hidden from my wife. If you've been married for any amount of time, then you understand that. Women are supernatural. And their ability to read the situation. You can say, I love you, baby, you're beautiful, and she's mad at you. <laughs> because you're not saying it with the right heart. And I have no idea how they know this. <laughs> Guys do not have this supernatural superpower. <laughs> the women do, right? <laughs> and the thing is, what I, how I hit it was in sarcasm and sharpness. So I would let my hurt or my anger come out in, in making jokes at my wife about my wife and in front of my wife to other people who knew my wife. And I'd get home after dinner thinking, we had a great time with those guys, didn't we? And my wife looks at me and she's like, you had a great time. <laughs> you know? uh, let me share what my superpowers found out about you. <laughs> and so for me, I had to develop this saying, it's better to be kind than Better to be, it's always better to be kind. But you may not draw as much attention if you're just kind. But it's always better in God's kingdom to be kind over funny. Now I can still joke around and stuff. But I've got to watch it. Because my mouth can be sharp and it can reveal an ugliness in my heart. And it can try to hide it. And a verse that I have that God gave me, one of the first verses when I came back to the Lord after college, was Ephesians 4.29. Let no uncorrupt word, or let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, 
anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So that was a radical blind spot. And, and I used to just hold on to the first verse. But the next verse tells me, when I'm doing that, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. And then it describes my sin that I was hiding in my joking. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. Like, at first, I'm like, okay, I'm learning this lesson. And then, you know, 15 years later, as I'm in that habit of being sarcastic and hurtful with my words, because, and then God reveals the rest of this to me and says, yeah, you, Mr. Peace Love Granola, let's go surfing. You need to deal with what? Your bitterness, your wrath, your anger, your clamor, your evil speaking, and your malice. I thought I was a pretty good guy. But the cool thing is, I'm a better guy. I'm getting better. And I'm getting more useful for the kingdom and my intimacy with God is ever growing. And I know how much he loves me because I'm such a jerk. And he's still that pretty. <laughs> Another blind spot that really hindered my ministry as a pastor was apathy. Again, I'm a loner by nature. And I can be like, whatever, you know, it's cool. As long as I go surfing, you do whatever, you know. But I hid my problem in that sin of apathy. And I was really blind to it until a trial developed. Because God was telling me to let go of a certain staff member who happened to be one of my good friends. And I'll just let the cat out of bed, Shannon's father. And we were good friends. You know, and... Uh, um, he ended up being on staff. He helped us plant the church. He ended up being on staff. And for two years, the Lord was telling me, you need to let him go. And, and, and I had him a square peg in a round hole. We weren't large enough to let him do what he was really good at. And, and we were forcing him to do those things that he wasn't gifted at. The guy has a radical gift of house. And I was trying to force him to be an administrator as a church grew above his ability to do that in his natural way. And I was watching it kill his faith. And it was causing a lot of stress. And our relationship, our friendship, had died at that point. And it, and it was just like, oh. And so finally I had a lot of guys praying for me, and, and, and I let him go. And it was really hurtful because these were some of the closest people in our life. Our children were raised together, and we were friends. So I knew he was hurt. I knew his wife was hurt. And there was confusion. They understood that God was still in charge of their life. They were still trying to attend the church and everything. But there was a real frustration on his part towards me. And I didn't get it. I don't think he understood the fullness of it. But the coolest thing is about this man, he's one of the most faithful men I've ever met. And, and, and he was not going to let it go. And I was doing my apathy thing. If I'm the one bothering you, I'll just get out of the way. Right? And, and, and if you're angry, I'm going to help you out. And I'll just sneak over here and just kind of, oh, there you are. I'll just move over here, you know? And it's like, our church isn't that big. You can't really avoid people, you know? I mean, and, uh, but honestly, it was, it, was, it was an absolute blind spot in my life. I didn't realize what was happening. And he would just not let it go. And I'd be like, what's your problem, bro? You're always mad at me. Mm -hmm. And, and it, was, it was hard. But what I learned, after he pressed in for two years, we both kind of figured it out. You see, I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. And even if I've hurt somebody through discipline or in this situation, I was obeying God, but I had to let him go. Even though I am the source of frustration, this isn't just unique to pastors, but, but in this sense, he was getting double rejected in his mind because as a pastor, I'm not allowed just to walk away because a shepherd shepherds. It's like, it would be like this. You discipline your child and then you ignore them. Right? And that's what I was doing. I was ignoring thinking it was the right thing to do. But in all reality, I was just feeding my apathy. And I was good at it. I, I, I could just, whatever. You know? 
And so now I know I have to press in until someone tells me, get out of my face. And it isn't natural for me, but in the Lord I can do that. And so I will pursue people even after I've had to discipline them. Or I'll pursue people as they're on my heart, even though they left the church. And God has called me. And, and man, when I look back, and I think this is probably 15 years into being a senior pastor, when I looked back, I go, oh my gosh. I used to wonder why these people hated me. I'm a lovable guy. Why do you hate me? I, I'm chill. Peace, love, and good all, remember? You know, it's like, whatever, dude. And I didn't know why. And I look back and I go, oh my God. I left a bunch of wreckage in my wake until God loved me enough to put me through this trial with a friend who would not give up on me so that I could learn to deal with my own life's heart. And now I get to look forward and say, God, thank you for that lesson, man. I can do that again. Right? It's such, it, it changed me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Biblical character. Guy's name was John Mark. John Mark was a young man when Jesus and the disciples were hanging out. His mom and dad had some money and, and, and they would meet in his house. He was the dude. His uncle, superstar, titan in the early church, Barnabas. You know those guys that were selling things in the book of Acts in order to provide for all those new believers at the beginning, right after Pentecost, 3,000 new believers? How are they going to serve? He was a guy that was selling lands and bringing money so people could live on it. This guy was generous. You know, he was the guy when Antioch was going through this, this revival. The disciples trusted him enough for him to take care of it. Go, go take care of it, Barnabas, man. And that wasn't even his name. His name was Joseph, but, but they call him Barnabas. means son of encouragement. How would you like the disciples, the apostles, to give you a nickname like son of encouragement? Oh, yeah. Right? And that was Mark's uncle. He knew Jesus personally. He was voted in his high school yearbook to be the most likely to make an impact in the kingdom of God. Right? This, this is John Mark. But understand, John was taken on that first missionary trip with, with Paul and Barnabas. And at a critical time, he bailed out. He failed. He had a blind spot. He was not as strong as he thought he was. He believed his own press. He had pride. He wasn't relying upon the Lord. He was relying upon his own reputation. And that's not a good place to be because that's not real character. What people think of you is not real character. Who you really are is your real character. And he had this blind spot. And, 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 it, and it was so radical when he left that Paul refused to allow him to go on their next missionary journey. It was so sharp that Paul and Barnabas split up. These titans of the faith split up over who? John Mark. He split the church, as it were. And what happened? Well, Paul found Silas and went along his way. But Barnabas went in the different direction, and if you really study the scriptures and look through them, you realize Barnabas decided I'm going to invest in my own nephew. I'm going to get out of the limelight. Book of Acts isn't written about Barnabas. Okay? But I'm going to get out of the limelight, and I'm going to disciple my nephew into true health. He restored Mark to a place where he would be usable once again. So Barnabas lived out what Paul would later write about. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one to a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Barnabas said, you need help, Mark. I'm going to bear your burden. I'm going to detach myself from Paul, and I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to bear your burden. So bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The cool thing is Paul is writing this. Barnabas lived it. I think Paul eventually learned from Barnabas' obedience. Because I think Paul was teachable. And then Paul writes this. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So always remember, the fallen one has been deceived and the restorer should... Needs to be careful not to deceive themselves as well. So a little bit more on this issue with 
John Mark, again, he was blind. But you need to understand, John Mark got beyond his black mark. I love to see that happen. When a pastor falls, I'm always praying for the restoration because I want to hear, one, why they fell. Because I'm capable. Two, I want to I hear their story about restoration and how much closer they are to God now. Because that always happens with me. And if it's a crazy fall, man, I can learn from them. I want to hear the cool story of what happens when a fallen man is restored and brought into this incredible intimacy with God. What did Paul write about John Mark later on at the end of his life? The last letter we have from Paul is 2 Timothy. And he's writing to Timothy. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly. He's in need, right? And he says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Christians for Galatia. Titus for Dalmatia. Where they raise those dogs. Who wants those spots, right? So, so he went into the dog business. I don't know what he did. But anyway, so these guys all kind of bailed on Paul in his hurting time. And so Paul is just sitting there and he's going, Timothy, come quickly. And what happened? What does it say after that? And get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. You know what that tells me? Radical, full restoration. That is the whole summation of Barnabas' ministry after he left Paul. Not much. Oh, wait a second. It's God. <coughs> he did God's part there. You know, because you know, we, have, we have a saying in our church that, that every person in our church is more important than our 12 and a half acres in a good part of town. And our four beautiful tin buildings. They are four tin buildings. They're not beautiful. But anyways, but, but every person in the church is more important. And, and, and we have this other saying that, that people are not in the church to build up my ministry. People who come to the church are the ministry. It's not the goal to get people to support my pain so I can write a book. My goal is that every single person in that church grow, love God more, and I just want to give presence to God of the disciples. Yeah, you go, God. I got to be a part of that. That's cool, man. And he says, well done. Good faithful servant. And so he was restored, and that is an awesome conclusion, an awesome summation of the ministry of Artemis, son of encouragement. What do you expect him to do? It's his nickname. Come on, gotta live up to it, right? <laughs> so I'm sorry if your nickname is Booger or something like that, you know? <laughs> and understand that trials often reveal our blind spots so they can be attended to, so we can reach deeper intimacy with God. Trials do it. Oh, I hate that fact. I would love to leave that out of the scripture. I would love it if we just grew when everything was good. You know? But I don't. I kick up my feet, I put my hands behind my head, and I cruise like everybody else. The trials reveal those blind spots. James 1 2. You know, the argument was that James really didn't believe in the Bible. When I read this verse, I'm like, Amen. Because James 1 2 says this My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What I'm saying is, I wish it wasn't there. But it is. And now in my life, I understand it's absolutely true. I don't want to go through trials to grow. I know that I have to. And one of the things that trials do is they cause you to wake up to your blind spot. Let me give you a little case study. I'm an assistant pastor, and he is an amazing man. And when he started to grow into leadership positions in our church, I called his former pastor to do my due diligence. What's he really like? Any, any skeletons in the closet as he gets more authority? And we do this, and, and it's, it's okay to do it. I'll let people know that I'm going to call their pastor. And I did this. And, and all this pastor said was, when he thinks he's right, he really thinks he's right. I'm like, oh, I wonder what that means. I didn't have to wait too long. <laughs> 
So he grew responsibility and influence in our church, and then one day it happened. Whole other story, but we were discussing lawyers, private investigators, how to pay them, their fees and such, and he went on a tirade about how these people were horrible, greedy, and self-serving. And these are people that I've been working with for eight, for eight years on a huge project that we're involved in. And, and, and some of them have become Christians. This private investigator we're trying to pay cut his, his salary in a quarter on our behalf. And we hadn't, he hadn't been paid for like two or three months. And we needed to pay him. And that's what I was fighting for. Another brother needed to be paid. But man, he went on this tirade. I mean, and I'm just like, and I'm literally holding the phone out and I can still hear him. And guys, he didn't even realize he was doing it. He didn't realize how bad it had gotten. And, and it was a rant that was out of control. And then over the next year, I saw it again and again. Not directed at me, but at others. And I tried to point it out before it was right, before it was time, but he really did not see it. And understand, 90% of the time, he was great, best assistant ever. Besides Doug, Shannon's father. Make sure he hears that. <laughs> but, uh, but he's great. But listen, what was happening is many people were mad at me for him because I'm a senior pastor. Right? And I allowed it to happen. But I'm looking at that peace loving granola. Remember, I'm cool. I've never yelled at anybody in church. You know? And then we had this. But they were mad at me because I was in charge. Several people even left the church during that time because of it. And people respond differently to these types of things. For myself, I'm like, what is your problem? So my attitude is, if you have a problem, I'm not going to make it my problem by buying into your problem. Right? So I'm like, oh, Jesus loves me. I know you're mad at me, but Jesus loves me. It's cool. You know, and that's, again, kind of getting an idea that I'm like, eh, whatever. <laughs> others blamed it on me. Others got offended and left the church without saying why. Others left the church and told us exactly why. Right? A person, I'll say, my wife had it done to her. Now, if you know my wife, you're not going to get away with that. <laughs> you know, and she did not let him get away with that. You know, and, and, and so it was becoming a really big deal. He either needed to receive correction or I was going to have to remove him from the ministry. And at this point in time, now he's on staff. Okay? So, I've been through having my blind spot revealed to me through a friend. Wounds of a friend. Right? And, and, and so I was friendly with him, even though I was his pastor and he wasn't as close as a former situation. But I realized I had to be loving. I had to be specific. I had to be scriptural. And I had to be enduring to see this through. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's what he's saying, but it's a really good one. And I had to go through this very same thing earlier. So if, if you take notes, there's, there's four things here. And I'm going to talk about them. And it's how to help others in my sphere of influence be restored. Number one, I have to love them enough for them to hear me out. All of us can rebuke people. And sometimes it even feels good. Right? Because it gives us superiority over them. And we know we're the authority. We're going to tell you. But that's not the attitude that you need to go into restoration with people. Because they don't care how much you know until they know how much you you need to love. Love needs to be the foundation. Number one, you need to love them enough for them to hear you out. Number two, you have to clearly identify the issue and bring evidence that is irrefutable. Why? Because all of us will deny anything bad about ourselves unless we really believe it. All of us do it, don't we? We have a self-defense mechanism. I'm going to protect me no matter how bad it is and you can't prove it. Until we get to the point where we actually believe it, and then we go, whoa to me. I'm a sinner. Whoa to me. I'm a sinner. And so you need to clearly identify the issue and bring evidence that it's irrefutable. A blind spot is called a blind spot for a reason. There's a reason you're blind to it. Now, I came up with him. I came up with eight irrefutable instances where he had jumped on this tiger. Okay. 
Number three, you need to come with scripture or scriptures to help them guide their way forward. They need to be able to live. Like for me, it's Ephesians 4.29 in dealing with my wife. I have verses on being a pastor and shepherding for my other issue that I've got to press in even if someone's been hurt by me or if they feel like I'm the problem. Right? There's verses that I have for that. And so you need to make it scriptural. A lot of times, you, you need to understand, I'm not trying to get people to conform to my morality or my behavioral standards or preferences, but I want people ultimately to conform to God's morality and good behavior. And because just because someone bugs you because of what they do, it doesn't mean it's sin. You guys realize that? Your judgment of someone else doesn't necessarily mean it's sin. You know, because if someone picks their ears and it bugs you, it doesn't mean it's a moral sin. You know, and then they can't be effective for the ministry if they pick their ears, right? It needs to actually be a sin. For a sin to be a sin, it's got to be a sin, right? And to have scripture keeps you online as you seek to correct the person. And so you need to be willing to bring scripture, not just your preferences. You know, I just kind of feel like you've been upset with me. Well, in what way? Can you give me examples? You know, it's just kind of a feeling. What, what have I done? I mean, it, what is a sin? You know, it's just there, kind of. So what am I going to do the next time I see that person that's upset with me? I'm going to go, am I sitting down? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. What am I supposed to correct? What am I supposed to fix? And I have gone to review people, and I haven't had reasons, and they looked at me like, What's your problem? And I'm looking at it like, is it an obvious? And they're like, no. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's such a horrible place to be. So it's so good to base everything like that in the scripture and give scriptures that are going to help guide people. Because your opinion, I'm sorry, your opinion is not as powerful as God's eternal word. Right? It's hard to believe, but it's not. It is the one that cuts between the bone and the marrow. And number four, if you are that person in their life, you need to be willing to stand by their side as they learn to see their newly revealed blind spot healed. You need to pray for them. You need to be willing to confront them when they fail. You need to encourage them when they fail. And you need to rejoice with them when they succeed. And the end result of my situation with my assistant pastor, level one, he is still serving on our staff and our relationship is better than ever. We love each other. Love is there, and it continues to be there. Level two, when confronted with the evidence, it sank in. This former Marine, this Wall Street broker, this fourth degree black belt, sat with his surfer dude. He's left here at all, remember? Okay? This guy can kill me like four ways over, right? <laughs> he sat, and when I brought forth the evidence, he bawled his eyes out. He, like, not just, oh, I've got something in my eye. <laughs> not that kind of crying. <laughs> and yeah, it just blew my mind. What went further was by that night, that this is in the morning, I called him in my office, principal's office thing, right? You know, and, and, and I said, I love you. You know I love you. I care about you. And I've been doing this for a while. You're going to feel picked upon for a while, but you need to know I need to go through this. He denied it at first, and he. And then once he once it sunk in, he started falling. By the end of that night, he had either visited the homes of or called every single person out of those eight instances that I mentioned, and he apologized to every single one of them. Some of them didn't receive it, but he at least did it. It showed true repentance. Number three, I came up with scriptures, but he's mature enough to even come up with his own scriptures. To help guide him forward. And, and he knows he's susceptible. And now he's looking to help other people in a loving way with their blind spots. Because he's a pastor. And then number uh, the the level four, some of our elders were involved, our staff was included in his recovery, and I would say that he's 99% percent over this issue. 99.9% over this issue. We can still feel a raising when he's stressed, right? 
Ministry is stressful. It's not just copy in the Bible. Okay? It's stressful at times. <laughs> and we're good. It's you guys. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but it is stressful. And, and so when we feel this stress rising, he's this guy that does way too much. He just tries to do way too much. He stresses himself out. We're like, ooh, okay. And sometimes we have to go, you need to stop. You need to slow down because it's, it's affecting the staff, right? And, um, but it was probably about a two-year process to say that he got to this point. He did it again to my wife. Oh, no, you didn't. You did. <laughs> it was not good. He started to do it with us as a couple over the phone once, and we had to stop him, and later on I talked to him about it. He did it to a salesperson who was pushy in our office in front of our whole staff. And he teared up, and he went around to each one of them, and he apologized for doing that. So he got it. He started to recognize that he was doing it. And again, we rarely see anything like it today. When he gets stressed, we make him just take some time out. He wants to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become is this process always successful? Absolutely not. It takes three. It takes the helper, the helpy, and the Lord. And without one of those three involved in it, it's not going to succeed. Okay? Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen? Oh, we all have blind spots that are revealed in several different ways. Through trials, through friends, the Lord himself, through his scripture, through his Holy Spirit. We just need to be willing to say, as David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. A prayer that should be prayed often. No chastening seems to be joyful at the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, listen to this. <coughs> to those who have been trained by it. What a waste of time if you go through a trial and you're not trained by it. What a waste of time if someone tries to challenge you and you don't learn from it. I've had guys attack me radically, and I wasn't guilty of what they attacked me for. But God told me later I was guilty of other things that they didn't even know about. And now to repent of those things. I don't want to ever go through pain and not grow. What a waste of time. Because God says all things are available to you to grow in your character. All things. Did I fail to mention? All things. Because all things are available. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word this morning. If you would like more information about Salem Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.